Cheers, and welcome to another episode of The Heath Bar. I'm your host, Heath Johnson. Each episode features an artist, creator, or leader from the Midwestern region, and sometimes I'll catch a guest traveling through who I think is worth your time. From songwriters, craft brewers, artists, film producers, and much, much more, you're sure to get to know some incredible people here at the Heath Bar. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes so that you know when your freshly tapped chat is ready for you. Also, I'm always keeping an eye out for reviews, so if you're so inclined, leave one for the Heath Bar. You just might get a shout out in an upcoming episode. Stay social with me as well. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook with the handle at Heath Bar Online and on Twitter with at Heath Johnson. This episode, along with all the other chats, are on tap every day, ready for you at www.heathbaronline.com. You'll also find my music schedule, blog post about the episodes, as well as a link to become a regular at the Heath Bar by donating what you can to keep this project going. My guest today is one I'm glad I was able to catch up with while he was making his way through town. Corblon came to Hay Camp Brewing Company in Rapid City on the final stretch of his No Rest for the West tour. I first heard of Corb from a recommendation by Kenny Fiddler, who you regulars at the Heath Bar may remember from episode 23. I was a fan at first spin and sure was glad Corb and I got to chat. He's got quite the arsenal of good tunes for your listening ears, and as a fan and songwriter myself, it was truly a good time getting to talk shop with him, so to speak. We sat up in the Hay Camp office and talked the tour and his journey into making a living writing and playing songs. I highly recommend you take the time to listen to his tunes. Hell, invite me over and I'll listen to him with you. With that said, everyone here at the Heath Bar, I give you Corb Lund. Welcome to the Heath Bar, where the conversations are always on tap. Yeah, set that you, up however you want. Do you write? Do you have I do, yeah, absolutely. I've um, been doing it for a while now, and actually I'll catch a little bit of your gig, and i got a, I got a gig tonight too, so oh. I won't get to stay for all of it, but it's all right. It's kind of how it works. I yep. didn't look ahead before. Is it Friday today? <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the story of our life. You never see each other play, right? Yeah. That's why I like festivals so much, because you see all your buddies that you haven't seen, all my band guys that I'm friends with that we never see, because... We see each other's posters, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come and go. And maybe in passing. Is that why you hang out at gas stations? I hope yeah. that... I sometimes, we sometimes, I sometimes, me and my friends write shit on each other's posters. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, fuck everyone. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, cheers, man. Thanks for thanks for coming and doing this. And um, Sure. I sure appreciate it. We were rolling? We're rolling, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no um, problem. Um, yeah, so I wanted to kind of talk with you a little bit just about... Uh, Kind of what got you into songwriting? That has music always been a part of part of your life from a, from a kid, or was it a family thing? Or no, not at all. It was um, my family were cattle people and rodeo people, and for a long time, for okay. generations, they came from Utah, Nevada, and then they came up to they ranched down there, and they came up to Alberta around the turn of the century. But no, they were cowboys, and they didn't. There's no music in our family, really. A little bit, you know, aunt playing church piano. Kind sure, of okay, yeah. Like although I guess my grandpa's. Like I said, they, they were ranchers, and they used to sing old um, 
cowboy ballads like Strawberry Roan and When the Work's All Done This Fall, those old cowboy songs. Mm-hmm. And they, they weren't singers. They couldn't sing. But in those days, music wasn't always a career. A lot of times it was a, just a personal hobby, you know? Was, sure. Now music is like, oh, is you going to make a living doing music? But back then it was like, a lot of, I think my impression is that a lot of times, especially folk style music, was just kind of a personal entertainment thing. Sure. You know, actually no, no, front porch and out on the no, prairie no and just kind of hanging you know? out. Yeah, that's right. And also a means of transmitting oral history, too. Yeah, that's true. But so the, yeah, some of the first songs I ever heard were from them, and then uh, no, nobody. In my, but again, they they weren't musicians; they were just screwing around. Because, and nobody in my immediate family was a musician. And I, when I was about fifteen, I guess I got into playing guitar with my buddy, rock and roll guitar, because mm-hmm. I. All the Western stuff is, was kind of boring to me because I grew up with it, and I, th- I thought rock and roll was oh, kind sure. of fascinating. Right? Yeah, you always find something that's <laughs> not what you know and think, yeah. oh, that's different. I like it. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, so we started fooling around with garage bands and stuff like that, and then, mm-hmm. and then uh, we started a, a heavy rock band called The Smalls, and I was writing. I was one of the principal songwriters in that band. It's much different than this, though. It was like a kind of a sped up Black Sabbath kind of Black Sabbath meets speed metal kind oh. of thing. Any more of those? Are those sounds still floating around? Can we find that songs? Yeah, anywhere? yeah, it's out there. Yeah, we have okay. four records. I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's on Spotify in the U.S. It is. It's it's available widely in Canada. Gotcha. But, okay. Um, but yeah, I was the bass player, and not I. I was a, did a little bit of co lead singing, but I was mostly the bass player, one of the songwriters in that band. And it was much more of a collaborative, like when we, when we would write songs with that band, it was, you know, we would just jam endlessly in the basement and work stuff out. And it was more about the guitar riffs and stuff like that. Sure, sure. Um, and then, I don't know, I guess maybe after I'd been playing guitar for five or six years, I realized that I could play all those old cowboy songs that I grew up with. So I got really heavy into that. And, uh, can I... Was he got a girl? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to edit this thing? He needs, his, he needs his coffee, man. All right. Oh, there you go. Thanks, buddy. Perfect. Is anything else? No, that'll do it. Thanks. You Perfect. said it was seven hours since, since you got from Laramie? So uh, coffee's probably something. feeling pretty good right yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so once I got playing guitar, I started fooling around with Western songs that I grew up with and, and then started writing... Um, writing uh, Western type songs, folk Western, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, whatever I, just, I do now. And um, the first one I wrote was called We Used to Ride Them. It's on one of my first records. We still play it actually sometimes. No kidding. About a pair of spurs. Wow. But yeah, um, and then, yeah, and then the, when the when the smallest my rock band broke up, I had already started a, 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 an early version of this band on the weekend, on the time off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing it full time. And I had put out two records at that point, but I got real serious about it at that point and put out one called $5 Bill, which kind of launched this kind of, this phase of my career, sort of. But yeah, like writing in this situation is much different than, in my rock band, it was all about jamming and stuff. I, I, occasionally I, I would write one, one or two per record and kind of mostly finished and bring it to the guys, but mostly... 85, 90% of the songs in that band were just kind of from jamming together. Yeah, I was always wondering that. Like, when you when you put an album together, like, do you do you look for a central theme and say, hey, this these kind of all fit together? Or you just, this is what I've written, let's yeah, put them on an album? Yeah, the latter. I've, I've okay. never really been able to write on commission. Or gotcha. Occasionally. Like, but people say, oh, you should write it with this. And I'm like, well, okay. But usually, usually <laughs> what happens is I just get a bunch of random ideas. And then, like, even that, I have one record called Horse Soldier, which has about... 60% of it is kind of military history songs. Yeah, it's a great album, yeah. But that wasn't planned. It's just kind of, I was into that shit at the time, and it just kind of happened that way. That's cool. That's I, really I have cool. always had a hard time planning any of that. I just kind of, 
I just kind of because the if you want to get into the process of it, like what happens for me for the nuts and bolts of songwriting is at least this style of songwriting mm-hmm. is is um I just I just get an idea randomly when I'm driving or walking or anytime, and I just you get, after a while you get kind of disciplined about recording them or writing down the whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is and and uh, like I don't have very much luck sitting down and saying okay I'm going to write a song and then just coming up with something I usually what happens for me and it, it feels a lot more organic this way is, is I just have all these chunks that just come to me and I've I've recorded them throughout the week or the month or whatever and then when it comes time to actually sit down and work I just dig through those and build on them mm-hmm. like I've seldom ever started a song deliberately and said okay I'm going to sit down and write a song today and then just start out a blank canvas sure it's almost always a chunk of something and it's usually like a couple catchy lines with the rhythm to them like a, um, people always say you know lyrics or melody but for me it's kind of combined because I get I get a germ of an idea like a, a chorus or a chunk of a chorus or something like that all kind of together mm-hmm. in a line or two so my brain and then I write all those down and then when the work part comes I sit down and just sift through all those and decide which ones would be fun to work on and then kind of expand from there. So sure. the, the, the very germ of the idea just kind of comes randomly during any time and I write it down. Yeah, well, and you can kind of tell too when a song comes comes out authentically or organically like that versus when someone like sits down and, and pushes a song out. I mean, you've got you've got song creating machines in places like Nashville and stuff where that's, that's all they do. They hire songwriters and they put them in a room yeah. for all day, you know, versus, hey, I was walking down the street, this popped in my head and now it's a song. You know? Yeah, and I think I think the latter method tends to reflect actual feelings of the songwriter. More sure, than, like I could do, I'm sh- I'd probably shoot myself, but I could probably apply myself as if it's an English paper or something and <laughs> and finish something. But I, yeah. it's, that that's a whole different goal. Like th- those those guys in that industry are doing it for money, right? Yeah, and that, I'm not I'm not saying that's even a bad thing. It's just a fact. Like it's like McDonald's versus. Uh, a fine Italian restaurant, or sure. a pair of Nikes versus handmade boots. Yeah, that's like true. The, the main difference. People always talk about that, you know, because yeah, I, I always get up good getting dragged into conversations about Nashville stuff, and and I don't even. I'm kind of past the point of even being. I used to, you know, I was young. I was like, those guys suck, but I don't even care anymore. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just a different goal, like, right? Like they're they're trying to, you know, they got four guys in a room with a focus group, and they're trying to sell records and mm-hmm. trying to put stuff on the radio. That's the goal. The goal for me and all my buddies is to express ourselves and make art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, a few years back, I was the same way. I, that's all I kind of want to do. And every now and then, I fall into that trap, but more more so than not anymore, I just don't even pay attention to it. Yeah, I'm I like, this is the music you. I like, so this is what yeah. I'm going to pay attention to. Especially right? these days, there's no reason to have to listen right. to that stuff. Yeah, there's a ton of great yeah. art out there that you're not going to find on the radio, and go hunt it I, down and listen to it. I kind of feel like eventually it might just atrophy and go away. Yeah, maybe. I maybe maybe not, but I maybe because that whole that whole infrastructure is based on on you know terrestrial radio and media push, right? Right. And the more fractured all of the all of you know technology, the more the more the technology fractures the media, sure, the less the less uh, monolithic it's going to be. Yeah. You're, you're already seeing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, and people people are able to recognize bullshit. Versus, some people are. Well, that's true. <laughs> I guess good good point. But um, I honestly think that I might be wrong about this, but I'm not sure how many people who are truly really passionate about music like that kind of stuff. There might be a few, mm-hmm. but I think people who are because I know lots of people who just put on music in the background and they're just not into music, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're into you know monster trucks or something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, and it's like people are into different things, and so the people that 
there's a big swath of the population I think that doesn't really, especially more and more these days, it doesn't actually consciously listen to music. I think they just, it's a, it's kind of a sort of a balm for the troubles of the day and they have it in the background and they're not, they're not really truly focusing on it. Mm-hmm. I think most of the people who truly focus on it eventually find their way to to better music sure, or, or more artistic music, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Now, how do you, because one of the, one of the biggest challenges I think people know is that when, rambling. That's another rambly. That sounded good, man. <laughs> I'm going to use so many clips from that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, how do you, uh, how do you maintain that level of creativity album after album after album? Because one of the, one of the big critiques a lot of people have with some of their favorite artists is after six or seven, four or five albums, um, it just, it isn't the same as the originals, you know? Mm. So how do you, I mean, is that a challenge or do you just not even focus on that and Hey, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they, they move on. But, um, I don't know. I usually try to follow my gut. I mean, I think, I think most people are lying if they say they don't care at all, if anybody likes it, because we all want to make a living. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so far. And I mean, I think the answer is you don't really know. Like, I think, I don't know how many times I've seen bands like beat the first three records are awesome and then they just start to suck and, mm-hmm. and, they, and no one really knows why and they don't even know like it's just yeah. like and sometimes it happens where I've seen this a bunch in the rock world where they'll have a couple great records like the early records and then they get a better producer and more money and then they start sucking and <laughs> the true people who really like music yeah. know that they suck but they don't know because their audience got bigger because they're playing to more like sure. commercialized people yeah that's a good point it's I hadn't thought thing. of it that way yeah and absolutely. so it's kind of scary because you walk around thinking is that happening to me yeah yeah <laughs> I, I I mean, I can tell that it's not yet, but I, that's the thing. Like, you don't really know. And in the end, like, I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough question because, like, if there was a thousand people that liked your first record and it was real raw and stuff, and then there's a hundred thousand that like your new ones, who's right? Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? Well, and, like, I mean, there's got to be a certain level where it's just hard to be... I mean, it's always hard to be self-aware. Everybody strives for it, but at some point, like, it's hard to really know. And you can, I mean, especially if you're looking at the stats that way, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, I have 100,000 sales now versus 1,000 the first time. So. I think I think serious artists really are, are really um, willing to 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 dig and, and be brutally honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, I know that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like a, I don't mean to say my own worst critic, because that sounds like a self-help thing. I'm, I don't mean that. I don't mean like I'm constantly belittling myself. But what I mean is that, I'm pretty confident in what I do, but what I mean to say is that I have a really, uh, a really stringent filter mm. for my stuff. Like I, I've had I've had managers and producers and say, "Oh, it's great." And I'm saying, "No, it's it's actually not great. Like it's cool and it'll work, but it's not." And they're like, "Well, it's good. it's the same as like people tell me like I'm a hack guitar player. I can play rhythm or whatever, but mm. my my guy Grant plays circles around me and he's ten years younger. I'll never get there. Yeah, I'm like the I'll never way. play in the NBA either, right? I'm rhythm. But, that's all. That's what but I. Pe- but people at. people say to me, "Oh, you're a great guitar player." I'm like, actually, I'm not. And they go, "Oh, you're do you just, no, you, yeah, you are." And I'm like, no, I'm not. And like, I, I'm I'm competent enough, but I'm not a great guitar player. Just sure. shut up. You don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> so I feel the same thing happening a lot of times with producers and and sometimes management and even uh, even other people, friends and stuff, they're like, oh, it's great. And I'm like, well, I know that I have written some things that I consider great, and this is not one of them, mm. or it needs more work. Sure. So I don't know. I have a I have a really high bar for, for my shit. So I, I think that that kind of helps. And I, I, don't, I hate to say it, but I don't think everybody does. Yeah. And, and I think that I constantly question things, and I constantly go back. Another aspect of this is that, I seldom ever write a song in one sitting. Most of my songs take months. Mm-hmm. Like I, 
my process is, I know a lot of people, it seems to work for them, but it doesn't work for me to sit down and, hey, I worked really hard this afternoon. I wrote a song. Mm-hmm. I almost never happens to me. To me, it's more like, hey, I had a great afternoon. I, I got a couple lines on this one, and I finally got the chorus on that one, and I extended the bridge on this one. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always got like about 10 or 20 or 50 sure. chunks, chunks. And so when I sit down for the afternoon, I'm, I'm sort of taking a look at four or five or ten of them, polishing them a little bit each day. Sure. And then, like that Bible on the... Do you know my stuff? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. That, there's a song I wrote with Hayes Carl called Bible on the Dash. Great song. That literally took years to write. No Cause, kidding. Because I wrote the chorus and one verse, and I fooled with it for years, and I just couldn't turn it every which way. and couldn't get it any further, and then I just drank some beer with Hayes one that night, and we finished it off. Just sitting around, goofing around, and yeah. out came the song. That's the only way I've ever been able to co-write is with, with buddies, and I'm much more apt to do it at 10 p.m. instead of 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. I believe that. No, um, I play a few of your songs at some of my shows, and that's one of them. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I that always... It takes me a long time. Yeah? That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Sure, it's, but it's got to be fun when it all gets done. Like, when you yeah. when you and Hayes are sitting there, and it's like, I think, I think it's done, I mean, there's a point where you both are like, yeah, this is... It's done. It's time to time to go record it and put yeah, it out. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not even even the I I get satisfaction out of getting a couple good lines on a song that's nowhere near being done too. Mm-hmm. So like it's yeah. So my process is to have a whole bunch going on at this at any given time and polish them a little bit each day over long periods sure. of time. Do you have like do you do it on a notebook or do you use your phone or is it a um, little bit of both and both. then you just have, can scroll through? Yeah, like if it's an phrases. audio, if it's an audio thing, I have you know put recorder sure. on my phone, little phone okay. recorder thing. And if I, well, actually these days I'm I'm mostly uh, like I'll write I'll write stuff down in a pinch, but then I'll put to transfer it to digital just so I don't lose it. Right? Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's something feels something still feels good about pencil. Yeah, I like pencils. Yeah, the lead, the lead feeling. Right, and then you can flip through the pages, and that all feels good. What was it like when, uh, when people first started to notice your songs? Like that feeling for you, and like, hey, people are liking stuff that I that I'm making, that I'm putting out there, and people are noticing it. And yeah, it's cool. It's really neat. It's it's like, it's it's cool to to. Um, it's cool for me because a lot of my stuff is really um, regional and and. Um, a lot of family history and, and mm-hmm. Western kind of stuff about my background and my my region of the world, and it it was cool on one level when people around home started liking it, but it was extra cool when people in New York City like it or people in England like it or because sure. that means that you're transcending the specifics and getting to the gym, you know? Yeah, like the it's weird because I didn't ever know for sure if if writing really specific stuff about cowboy culture and my life and stuff would, would appeal to people outside that circle. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, it, it turns out it does. Yeah, do you think that's growing, like, recently in, in, in history? Or do you think it's always been there and people what? are just fin- uh, just singing and writing songs about cowboy culture and that? Or do you think people are just finally paying attention to it? it's dying. <laughs> really? Okay. I, I can only think of about six artists to do it. Yeah, I guess when you look at it that way, like, I would just, I mean, the, the six or so that I can think of right now, like, like who you Everybody, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of Coulter. You know, hey, I'd put Hayes on that list. Um, but just like people, when they hear it, it they turn their ear and like, oh, what is this? Maybe it's just because it's so different. We might be talking about two different things. I think you, oh. you might be talking about underground country generally, or like red. Uh, stuff. I might I might be going a little bit more wrong. Yeah. I was just talking about specific cowboy stuff. Okay, like the only guys I know doing that are me and Ned Do. And Cody Johnson and sure. Aaron Watson, okay. like, but but I'm happy to talk about the wider underground country thing too. Yeah, and that that I don't know, but your your question about that, it, it seems like it goes in waves. 
Because I mean, I mean, in the seventies, William Whalen did it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of, I think, what happens is, <laughs> I think it's the same thing with Nirvana, right? Mm. Like you know, it, it's, the commercial stuff gets, it just gets so shitty. <laughs> yeah. That all of a sudden, people are it, it just feeds on itself and gets to a point where it gets so lame that that something fresh comes along with it, whether it's William Whalen in the seventies or whether it's Sturgill a couple of years ago mm-hmm. or whether it's Nirvana with the hair bands. Yeah. I think it's like that. I think it's a cycle. Gotcha. I guess. I yeah. Know. I mean, that makes sense. Because yeah. the underground's always there. It's just that. It, Pokes through every now and then, it peeks his head over. And then everybody tries to copy that, and it gets sucky in five (laughs) years again, right? (laughs) Right, and then the cycle continues. (laughs) How's the tour been? Uh, It's been outstanding. You said this was your this was your eighth week, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been our best American tour yet, by far. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's encouraging, especially because we've been at this a long time. So yeah, it's um. I want to mention before we were talking about how. Sometimes people start to suck after a few records. Yeah. <laughs> one, th- one thing that I'm proudest of is one, one of my favorite records is my one of my, like Cabin Fever is one of my most recent, which is like our seventh or something. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've really come into our own sound and really got a handle on things on that one, which is cool, that seventh record. Yeah. Because like you're saying, often it happens when it's second and it's sure. down there. Sure, yeah. There. You know, uh, another thing that's really kind of goes back to something we were talking about 10 minutes ago about developing the songs and you said and you know you feel like okay now it's done mm-hmm. a, a huge thing is production and, and arrangement too because mm-hmm. I can get it to the point where I feel, feel like it's done for me to sit here and play it for you on guitar sure but then bringing it to the band and the producer's a whole nother ball of game too right yeah because that's and that's still a mystery to me like it's just Sometimes it works better than you expected. Sometimes worse, and like sometimes it sometimes it because I have an idea in my head. Like okay, I think maybe this is the rhythmic feel. This is what the drum should do. Probably this is what the guitar should probably do. Maybe it needs a banjo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like I'm right on the money. Other times it goes totally sideways and turns out cool a whole another way. Sure, but you can take an acoustic song and depending on the production and arrangement and instrumentation, it can sound like twelve different songs, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, make it a Celtic song, make it a rock song, and make it a you know. Yeah, well, a few of yours, like uh, a few of yours, are are fun. Uh, like I want to be in the Calvary is a fun song to play on, on Patty's Day. Like, yeah, it kind of fits yeah, the, the feel of that whole thing, you know. But. You, you know what's funny about that one. And another one, Family Reunion, which is a bit like that too. Mm-hmm. It's got a bit of an Appalachian yeah. feel to it. Yeah. Is that I wrote those on mandolin? No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And that's 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 a real, um, I would say that's real strong evidence for it being a healthy thing to pick up other instruments. Sure. Just because of the way it's tuned in fifths, it just as soon as you pick up a mandolin, you go, "Oh, that's what those guys are up to." All the yeah. Celtic stuff because it's like so it just lends itself to that because of the tuning. Sure. But yeah. Do you have any challenges, or well, I guess what's the biggest challenge with getting a song and then handing it over to like your band or producer and saying, hey, tweak it, play with it, and here's the reins. Do you think it's good or you think we should change some stuff? Does that does that conversation happen with them or they just kind of figure out how to take what you've already put together? Uh, it's and, a collaboration. Okay. And I mean, sometimes, like honestly, my last record, I, I kind of, um, after, it was my eighth, I guess, and I, I was feeling like it was... In a lot of areas of not only the music but my business too, I, I felt like because I've been a do-it-yourself guy for my whole life. Mm-hmm. I fixed my own van and built my own shit and screened my own shirts and made my own, you know, <laughs> sure, all that stuff. Yeah. So I've been a kind of a control freak my whole life, and I was I had reached a point in my last record where I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna let these other professionals help me, and I didn't like it in the end. I wasn't happy with the results. And hmm. it's not and no no it's fault. It's just everyone has different tastes. Yeah. Because yeah. there were some things on the record that I didn't like at first. And I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna roll with this and be a little more open minded and 
turns out I still don't like them. <laughs> so I think from now on, I'm going to trust my own gut. And that's not a reflection of my producer or, or the guy. My, sure. my guys, I love them. They're awesome. But I think at the end of the day, this thing's got my name on it. They're my songs. I got to see it through to the end. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things about songwriting, I guess, that I've noticed in myself is, you know, you're you're kind of putting a little bit of yourself out there for someone, you know, and then to see it tweaked a bit is a little bit tough. Well, sometimes, but sometimes my guys get a hold of it. It's like, yeah, that's great. Like, sure. Awesome. So yeah. it's just everybody has different tastes. Yeah, it. absolutely. So Absolutely. You guys were just in Laramie, and uh, before that you were in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after this, you're heading to Montana. Yep. And then home. Man, that's a... Yeah, we started at the beginning of January. I, I started in Steamboat Springs at that festival. That oh, that's a great one. Yeah. And then flew to meet the guys in Montana, and then we went out to the coast and went down to California, and then made our way to Texas, and now we're on our way back north. That's cool, man. Two months. In the middle of it, too, right in the middle of it, I flew to Florida out of Texas for that uh, Keys, uh, Mile Zero thing, Key West. It's like Steamboat South, basically. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then and I was there for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the guys flew home, and then I flew to Elko, Nevada to play with Ian Tyson and Coulter at the... The Cowboy Poetry Festival. I saw that, yeah. So I was I yeah. was in Florida Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday playing, and then played Friday, Saturday in Nevada. It was That's intense. cool. Some <laughs> serious logistics going Jeez, on. Jeez, man. Moving around. And then back to Texas <laughs> to join up with the guys again. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, how much dirt did you taste filming uh, Gravedigger? Oh, uh, some. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Some dirt. That looked like a fun, I thought, a fun I time. The, I thought the dirt on the face was an effective shot. So yeah, it was great, man. I thought it was worth it. It was really good. It was kind <laughs> of a... Uh, zombies and zombies and cowboys, man. That's that's a good one. The, those kind of tunes, like I think probably I always say this in interviews. But I think probably if I hadn't gone through the you know the decade of you know weird indie underground rock music, mm-hmm. a I might not have got into music at all. But if I had and went straight into writing western music or country music, I think it'd be a lot more square. Like I think I think my western background combined with the ethos of indie rock mm-hmm. like to do your own thing and be as unique as you can those two things together is what makes me my, my writing what it is now sure because it's like my stuff has <clears throat> got a lot of set a lot of the settings are cowboy stuff or family history or the west or the frontier but but a lot of it's just kind of out there too like I I kind of I don't really wor- I, I, re- I feel really um, uh, I feel really uh, in tune and, and comfortable and in, in, in sort of you know Western culture and cowboy stuff, mm-hmm. since I feel really rooted to it because both sides of my family go way back in that culture. Sure, but I also don't like worship it. Like I, th- I approach the whole thing with abandon, right? Like I'm. Yeah. Sometimes, it's, sometimes the old school cowboy singers, it's like chasing the cattle down the dusty trail. And it's like, well, that's cool. That was cool in 1940. <laughs> but it's like I, you know. So yeah. my my thing is like to just my my authenticity for me is like saying what it's like to be from that background but living in the 21st century right sure and being into all kinds of weird shit so yeah <laughs> like that's that's kind of a reflection of if you're trying to be a you know do your thing and be yourself that's kind of what I'm doing because it's like half cowboy and half whatever the hell else is <laughs> in my brain right? well it's letting everything that you've experienced influence yeah, what comes out I don't have know? any lines yeah like I, just, I just mix it all together in a big Pot and absolutely yeah <laughs> stylistically too because that's that's something we, we're talking about instrumentation and production mm-hmm. i hear a lot of records especially songwriter records where every song kind of sounds kind of the, the rhythmic feel and the style the same and it's similar tempo it's it's really important to me to have different styles on a record like mm-hmm. um we draw from western swing and ragtime and Waylon Waylon country rock yeah and, absolutely and talking blues folk music and and 
maybe I said Western Swing, but in rockabilly. So I, I like to mix all those things together to make a to make an interesting record. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I I think dynamics is one of the most important things, um, and you can get dynamics in all on all fronts, like both tempo, style, uh, mood of mood, lyrical mood, all mm-hmm. those things. And I think it's really important on a record and a live show, for that matter, to have a sort of an emotional journey. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, it gets boring after the fourth song. What's <laughs> what's been the most fun thing on this tour so far? Like any any highlighted memories as of yet? Um, it's pretty it's a pretty cheesy answer, but just the fact that I mean we've toured down here so much and it's been okay, but it's always been a real grind. But the thing's really blossomed this tour. Like it's yeah. it's amazing to go to a city that you've played five times before to fifty people, and all of a sudden there's three hundred finally. Sure. Or for that matter, go to a city you've never played and have three or four hundred people. It's good. Yeah, that's our, cool. Our our, our, our um. Our career arc is, is such a slow burn that we really appreciate every little bit of it. That's cool. It's fun. That's cool to hear, man. And it's it's good when you can go to a place far from far away and have people singing your lyrics back to you. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's got to be a good feeling. That's cool, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. This was a lot of fun. Did that make sense? That that made enough sense for me. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if people want to dissect it later, they can do that on their own time. But anyway, I appreciate it, man. Thanks fun. a lot. Yeah, Cheers. absolutely. Cheers. That's it for this episode of The Heath Bar, folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. If you want to get in touch with me, shoot me an email, heath at heathbaronline.com. Until next time.